What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. This is just a reminder that you can go over to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain every Wednesday evening at around 8 o'clock, and you can listen to us live, and you can actually also donate to us if you'd like. It does help support the channel, keep things running. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers, the much delayed and hopefully with less power outages than last time. It has been a couple of weeks I am your host, George Terran, alongside the man, the myth, the legend, and the talent, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? I am fine and dandy, and uh, it's good to have you back on board in a powered state mm-hmm. uh, where I am not left to my own devices. I think anybody <laughs> who sat and watched me fumble for 10 minutes like Garf in <laughs> Wayne's World. Wayne! I'm having a good time. <laughs> not, um, anyone who had to sit through that and me actually cutting the feed and putting on a uh, little Spanish flea or something uh, <laughs> just to kill some time while we figured out what the F was going on. Anybody who saw that will be grateful to have um, the real talent behind it, the power behind the throne. Uh, you're, you're, you're the talent, I'm the power, yeah. which ironically I ran out of. <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I didn't even think about that bit. There we go. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 the people who are observant watchers of the show, Mm-hmm. Might notice there's something a bit different about the room he's in, um, and that would be. Oh, <laughs> we're doing uh, t- together. This is this is weird, right? This is weird. Look at this. Um, there's. <laughs> um, I like it. We're looking at the screens, and there's high definition on one side and crap definition on the other, <laughs> and warped face. Uh, we haven't actually done an in-person show. We were no, amusing. We haven't. Um, when you arrived earlier this evening, we haven't done an in-person show for about, about two, two years. Two years yeah. since um, uh, Electric Fried Rain Studios was forced to mm-hmm. uh, shut down due to you know uh, multiple violations mm-hmm. by the health department, as well as uh, God. God. <laughs> um, so it's um, we did attempt to actually have a a live in-person show. Uh, from from your place uh, last uh, last January or February, mm-hmm. that it was thwarted, yes. thwarted by a biblical rainstorm. So yeah. I, I feel like the you know the flying spaghetti monster has something against us because well we keep on talking about God and we keep on forgetting to actually refer to the all powerful demigod of the nine hells that we actually do support, and they, sometimes they get a jealous. You know, apparently so. It's um it's something about um. There's something about uh, us recording a show. It seems to be pissing off the uh, the universe and saying, "No, you shall not." Uh, and so you know, stick around to find out what happens this week. I was going to say, if you guys listen to the show or watch the show, you probably have a very good idea about why the gods are trying to stop us. Uh, <laughs> it should be obvious by it's now. True. Um, but if we, I don't. I think we initially had in. If you saw one of the advertisements, I think we initially had planned to have the man. Himself, Julian Smith, on the, the show, smart, yeah, uh, to to talk about um, uh, why Fire he subjected us me. to Firewalk of Me, um, but it's, I don't think I think he, he may have been uh, um, parlayed or uh, you know called into an emergency recording session. Well, yeah. you know, with, with ladies and gentlemen, I, I have to deal with the talent on a regular basis, and you know, Julian is I think it's fair to say on another level, and he's successful, um, yeah, and. Uh, we're successful. It's just we use a different rating of success. We define success. Yeah, out of seven. Um, and you know, frank, frankly, um, I the power outage just insulted Julian too much, and he's vowed to never come on here again until he chooses that he wants to. 
It's uh, it's the prima donnas. Uh, we'll hope to have him on in, in, next yes. week. Uh, if we can, he's a mm. busy man with you know fingers in lots of different pies, mm-hmm. and maybe next week he might actually be able to have. We did talk about him having come on twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we might be able to cover it all next week and never see him again. So mm-hmm. you know, that'd be a good thing. But uh, the good news is for everyone out there, he will probably be on this show before his uh, next podcast is released because it does Boom. take a while. Boom! I did see <laughs> I did see his co-host on the weekend. I did ask him about Smith Cut, <laughs> um, and was greeted with you know a, a very wishy washy answer about when we're going to see it. It'll be yeah. like Chinese democracy with Guns and Roses. Oh yes, okay, there we go. So hashtag release the Smith Cut. That's, that's I've, been I've been trying it. I just, yeah. yeah, it's um, I've seen some early cuts. It's um, it's promising to be like Heaven's Gate all over again. Oh, see, <laughs> ah, beautiful, beautiful. Now let's get on with the show. Let's talk about it. So last time we talked about Sid and Nancy, one of the movies that really kind of elevated the presence of Gary Oldman in Hollywood. Um, and I decided to follow on from that, going through to the 1996 Kenneth Branagh directed written for the screen, produced magnum opus, four hours. I forgot about that four-hour element. Hamlet. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, and um, that's one way of describing it, long. That's that's definitely a Another way Another word would it. be tiresome, self-indulgent. Mm-hmm. Um, that's two words. <laughs> it's a hyphen. Uh, <laughs> it's allowed. Dull. Um, it's, it's really pompous. Isn't it? It, it um so I should be up front and say I'm not overly familiar mm. with Hamlet as a play. Mm-hmm. Um what with Shakespeare period, I mean I studied Macbeth in high school, so I'm kind of familiar with Scottish play. Kind of familiar with, with that one. Mm. Um but mostly during this film, if I was getting confused about a plot point, my strategy was to refer to the Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> because that is a very accurate analogy. It is essentially a ripoff of Hamlet, um, as Disney does want to do quite often with many of their things. Um, I the, I studied Hamlet a lot um, to my detriment, but this is one that I actually got to play the part of Hamlet once mm. in a local production, and it was the 15-minute Hamlet. So it was condensed to 15 minutes, and then... As an encore, we did a three-minute version. So four and a half hours. <laughs> who do they think they are? Zach I, Schneider. I, I have a friend who is a an actor mm. uh, in Melbourne. She's uh, starring in the role of um, the starring role uh, in um, Merchant of Venice uh, coming mm. up later this year. Strathmore. I should remember the name of her character. Portia, the name of her character. Okay. Uh, yep. Um, and so I, I had to, um, she is trained, an actual actor, a thespian like yourself. Um, and I had to ask, have she ever been involved in, in the production of Hamlet? And she said it was actually, she her first directed play she ever directed was, was Hamlet. I mean, she asked if she finished acting school. And apparently it took two and a half hours. Um, and so for, I, I wonder, I mean, I, I'm not familiar. I have to imagine if you're doing a two and a half hour, hour version of the play, that, that, ha- that you must be chopping stuff out of the, of the actual original text. Well, I think a large portion of it is the pacing because this is really played for the drama, really, and every nuanced bit. Like there's, there's a flow and a pattern to the way that Shakespeare 
delivers the monologues for his characters mm. and there's a constant energy to this and there is so much more kind of theatricality attempted to be pushed into this. I feel like this is, like, this is not the first time, this, while I'm talking about this, have a look and see when he directed Much Ado About Nothing. I think that was about five years before, it was early 90s, I think. I think so. Um, but that 93. was 93, so only a couple of years. He, yeah, he ran through a bit of a bringing Shakespeare to and King to Henry V, Henry V yeah. in 89, Much Ado About Nothing 93, Hamlet 96. Yeah, this one definitely feels like his attempt to be really taken seriously as a dramatic director and creator. And you know, Othello the year before. Jesus, see, it's tons and tons and tons of Shakespeare. He was trying to bring it to the masses, and good respect to him for that. True, but this, I would argue that this is not the way. No, it is definitely not. This, watching this again, it really reminded me of what it was like being taught Shakespeare in um, school by people who didn't actually know how to translate it to make it interesting for others. Like... You look at, obviously, the most famous three Shakespeare plays, Romeo and Juliet, Hamlet, and um, Macbeth. I think those are the three most famous ones. Like, this movie has, well, this play has, alas, poor Yorick, um, and uh, yeah, the famous one. Yeah. Yeah, to be or not to, to, be, be, or not to be, that is a question. All of that stuff. Yeah. Those are quotes where you just go, yeah, I, I get that reference. I've never seen the source material, but it's, it's famous for that. Um, but this is played so dramatically that you kind of, it feels like you need to have like language translations. I did feel like I needed subtitles. Yeah. And it's just really, it's not that they're not speaking articulately. It's just that it is a perfect recreation of what the Shakespeare. And it's rapid fire. Yeah. And just kind of going, and there's like, oh, to what, the what of this and that and that, that, that earth. And it's like, oh, wait. Wait, they just use the double, triple negative. What the fuck? It's really hard to follow, and it makes it arduous to watch, um, which is a shame because there are some fantastic performances in it. If they, even if they do, kind of generally all fall in the melodramatic scope of it. It felt um, again. I'm actually. I don't think I've ever seen an actual live acted out theatrical yeah. version of a Shakespeare play. Period. I think it's always been. I'll have to um, take you to one. The films. Well, I will be seeing my friend play uh, Portia in Merchant of Venice when it opens in a couple of months. Um, so that will be my first ever theatrical experience of Shakespeare. Fantastic. But I feel like this looks like a film play. Yeah, very much so. The way that the settings, it's pretty much all either in the throne room or in annexes off of that. This is kind of how I felt like with... Um, what was that shitty fucking horrible um, musical with Renee Zellweger? Cassius Chicago? Jones. Yes, Chicago. It was just this uh, filmed play and it just suffered because of that. Um, there have been far better interpretations of Hamlet filmed and it's like, okay, this is actually interesting because it is an interesting story. It is a compelling story. But this is just the most studious well, the, the trivia here says um, the first full-length movie version of Hamlet ever made using the second quarto from 1604 text yeah. with additions from the first folio, 1623, to create an idealised 
inverted commas, complete, complete yeah. Hamlet. I don't know what the fuck the second quarter and the first folio are, but I have to imagine maybe it's like remaking Lord of the Rings and shoving stuff in from the Cimmerillion. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think this is the director's cut. And I certainly don't remember like the opening of it. There's a lot of kind of foreshadowing of the character with Fortinbras. And it's like, okay, yeah, he's name-checked in the pieces that I've read, but I don't remember kind of having so much time spent on him in the first act, which incidentally, it takes like two hours and 45 minutes to get to the intermission. Yeah. Maybe even three hours. And you kind of go, now make this a three-parter, please. <laughs> um, it, it did. That said, I, I am criticizing it a bit for looking like a film play, yeah. but it looks spectacular. Oh, yes. It's just filmed in 65 millimeter. Yeah. Um, so I imagine it would look amazing on a really big screen. Mm -hmm. But even on television, uh, on my TV, it still looks yeah. really beautiful. It's It still holds up as a beautiful production. It is really lovely. There's um, uh, a movie that was kind of experimental called Russian Ark. And it's all. I've seen it. Yeah, the one shot movie. Mm. And the way that the sets are, and particularly, obviously, the, the period that this is set, there is a lot of similarity to that. Um, and it did make me think, yeah, that's actually really cool. If you were able to just film in and around this set and just kind of follow through, that would be amazing. I do <laughs> um, kind of feel like reading that, that bit about the, the complete thing, I feel like there should be a new version where they interject Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead throughout this as well and just cut that in so it is literally the complete story. That would be funny. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, it uh, it has a spectacular cast. Um, Holy shit, yes. On top of it being, it looking, it, it look, the, the sets look incredible. Mm -hmm. The costumes are beautiful. I mean, how often do I talk about costumes? <laughs> I don't, but the costuming is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, the art direction is incredible. Um, the actual, the bits where it doesn't look theatrical with like soldiers running, yeah. masses of soldiers running through the, the courtyard. Of the, yeah. That looks amazing. But on top of that, it has a, a wonderful, wonderful cast of, mm -hmm. of including you know, Richard Attenborough, Brian Blessed, Gordon's alive. This is possibly his most subdued role. Very much so. Michael <laughs> Bilkin, Kenneth Branagh, of course, who yeah. directed Julie Christie, Billy Crystal, Judy Dench, Jared Deppard, you, Robin Williams is in there, mm -hmm. uh, Jack Lemon is in there. Yeah. Um, I have to say, though, Derek Jacobi, who plays Claudius, you'll recognize him. You'll be like, oh, that dude's in stuff. Mm. Couldn't tell you exactly. John Mills. So John Gilgood, mm -hmm. uh, if you don't know who those two guys are, fuck off. Uh, Rufus Sewell's in it a little bit. Timothy Sewell. Uh, uh, Case Winslet is a major role in there yeah. as Ophelia, uh, and she's very good. That must have been one of her earliest film pieces. Would have been, because like, uh, I think her film debut was um, a Peter Jackson film, um, yeah, Beautiful uh, Creatures. Beautiful Creatures, yeah. Which, that was about 94. Um, and here we Heavenly Creatures, sorry. Heavenly Creatures, So this yes. is a couple of years afterward. Yeah. So... Cast amazing, but I wanted to pick up on something you said a moment mm. ago, and about how you felt like it, it was a. You talked about your teachers who you didn't actually know how to translate mm. uh, Shakespeare in a way that was um, palatable, mm. for want of a better term. This yeah. came out the same year as I think the the film that maybe did that best that I can think of, mm. uh, and that was um, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo plus Juliet. So these both came out in 1996, mm. and you've got chalk and fucking cheese yeah yeah because like i know a lot of the purists shakespeare purists 
um, had a problem with, with Baz Luhrmann stylizing up um, yeah, like, Romeo and Juliet that way. But the, the thing was he made it relevant to the younger audience and... And he dragged people out. That was a massive hit. Yeah. And it had a lot of other things going for it, like heartthrobs as you leads mm. and the really cool soundtrack that they got involved with that. But it was the vitality of the way it was filmed as well. For me, I think it is Baz Luhrmann's best movie because there's a level of kind of frenetic nature to it, which becomes kind of part of the character of these young lovers just on this passionate roller coaster and that goes with it whereas with hamlet here it's so somber it starts with the death of the king and someone in mourning and then the re revelation of everything that goes on and it's like oh whoa this is getting so fucking heavy and deeper and, but I feel and like, slower so i watched Romeo and juliet last year for my other podcast oh, the throwback chill, available geez. now on spotify um we just we just reviewed willow last week which was um nice what a wonderful film yeah, Willow. and there's uh there's the tv series for disney plus coming sometime soon color me skeptical yeah. um but anyway um we watched it last late last year uh and it Everything about that film is is that they thought, how do I make this more understandable to my audience? Mm -hmm. uh, and Baz Luhrmann sort of reached out a hand to the audience a little bit. Oh, come with me. Mm -hmm. It's going to sound weird, right? You know, but it's the the the, the music's telling me something. The setting, the the the, the, the cinematography, yep. the art direction, everything's telling me things that I need to know about this scene. Absolutely. And right. I, if, if I'm just watching. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Mercutio. Give yeah. a who was a, a guy who played Mercutio is incredible in it. Uh, I can't think of his name. He never really went on to do anything, which was a shame. But um, I think he was. But I was considered being in the TV show, not really doing very much. Considering I thought <laughs> he was going to be a big star after that movie because he was he was the standout for me in that film. He was phenomenal, uh, and I, he would be up there giving a soliloquy to to Carol Romeo Perigno. And of course, I think he was in Showgirls too. By the way. Um, uh and link in the matrix sequels mm, mm -hmm. they said about them the better <laughs> um but i you didn't necessarily need to understand every word that mccusho was saying yes. you got the spirit of what he was saying yes and the vibe and you followed along the story you know essentially the message he's trying to get across because baz is putting every element into into you know the, the effort to try and let, get his mm -hmm. message across and make it accessible this is not that. This is the exact opposite of that. As we said, chalk and cheese. Yeah. This is this is Kenneth Branagh going. It's perfect the way it is, mm -hmm. and if you can't understand it, fuck off. Mm. Which just beggars belief. When a few years before he did such a wonderful interpretation of Much Ado About Nothing, which is a beautiful piece. There was life. There was frivolity and joy. And yes, it is a comedy, um, but he portrayed the language and everything about it so much more articulately compared to this where like in the, the opening of romeo and juliet they're talking about i draw my sword and they pull out guns and they yeah. just moments where they just snap to it and it's just a little detail like saying that it's a sword that the, the brand yeah, the yeah, I mean, it, sword. It, paul Sorvino, fetch me my broadsword he goes for his shotgun and it says broadsword yeah, on the side of a shotgun exactly. just little little nods like that just make you clue into oh okay I think I, I'm starting to translate this in my head. I can now work out modern similes and understand it. Whereas with um, Hamlet, 
it's so much about sort of like Kenneth Branagh just looking at himself and just being really serious. And you're like, okay, he's pissed about something. Um, he's keeps going about his father. Okay, yeah, I, I'm supposed to be angry here, but I don't really know why. And there's never really any sense of explanation for anything that happens. If you get it, you get it. But it's it's a study rather than a form of entertainment. Uh, I think um, it would be massively helpful um, if you uh, were already familiar mm. with um, with the story. Yeah. So I said the, the only thing that really helped me was being able to refer back to going that guy Scar. Yeah. Yeah, that's Jeremy Irons. Um, yeah. Uh, character from the Lion King. Okay, Claudius is Scar. Got it right. Yeah, uh, and you know, Kelly Christie. That's Sarabi. The you know, and Hamlet is essentially um, uh, what's his name? Simba. Simba. And I guess uh, Gildenstern's Rosencrantz are, are basically what Timon and Pumbaa. I guess um, more or less. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and, and like, <laughs> and I felt a little bit ashamed. I'm like, oh my god. I am. I am understanding Shakespeare through the prism of a, of a Disney animated animal film whatever helps though it is it is one of the best retellings of hamlet though because it just puts it in a very simple way and the truth of the matter is that shakespeare whilst being very intelligent and articulate he was a playwright for the masses and language has changed which means that to go back to it there where it is a form of language we don't use anymore it's hard to understand it. It's like trying to go in and understand a comedy, a comedy movie from South Korea. If you've got no inkling about the society that South Koreans find funny, well, well, it's very different. We will try and talk about that because I did see a film that actually kind of sums that up, and we'll talk about that later in the show if there we have time. But um, the four-hour runtime is also a problem for me. Like, mm -hmm. I, I guess obviously what he was making a deliberate attempt to make mm -hmm. it as a, a, a basically a completionist purist version mm. of this play um, this was oscar made uh, did it get any oscars i don't know but it's you know the the cast everything <laughs> put that anyway we'll check and see if there are any oscars okay. here i was nominated for four yeah um it was nominated for best writing screenplay based so adapted screenplay mm -hmm. art direction costume design and music definitely art direction and costume design mm -hmm. it probably deserves but I, music, no. I, I didn't notice the music. I, I noticed it occasionally, and it was very stock standard, which Patrick Doyle, the composer, he's okay. He's not really done anything particularly notable that I've sort of like put into my banks, but he did Harry uh, Potter. of the Apes, Gosha Park, Thor, mm. Aragon, uh, 04, of course, directed by uh, Kenneth Branagh. Oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, nah, so, yeah. yeah. There's there's nothing really the Harry Potter movie. Yeah. That's that's where I knew him from, I think. And um even then that wasn't the best music for a Harry Potter series, so it's like, okay. Sure. But there we go. Um I just I, I struggle with this so hard. Mm -hmm. I had to I had to break it up over at least two or three different um two or three different watches um to, to get through. The uh, the whole thing it was it was up uphill all way. I think you really need to be into Shakespeare to enjoy this. Agreed, and be very familiar with the subject matter. Yeah. Um. So it's a little bit like uh, Amazon are now making a series 
uh, in the Lord of the Rings series is based loosely on the Cimmerillion. Yeah. So I kind of feel like, oh, I feel like you might need to be a super fan to really get into that. Because I understand the Cimmerillion is pretty dense. Yeah. It's uh, essentially a source book. Uh, it's almost like it's almost like a like a extra shit that didn't make the actual original cut. And, yeah. You know, yeah. It's like the it's like. I have a record here somewhere of, of, of it's a copy. It's a four disc version of like Nirvana's demos. Mm. And I love it because I fucking love Nirvana. Yeah. But anybody else, if you just like a couple of their songs, it would be as boring as batshit. And they're really not very good. They're interesting from a historical, if you're a fan. Yeah. But like for most people, it's like, this is a really shitty version of his song. I prefer the version yeah. that got released on the album. Of course you would. And I think, you, again, you need to be back here on, on Hamlet. If you are one of those Shakespeare nerds, super mm. fans, the fact that he's filmed those two obscure bits that no one's ever filmed before, I'm sure it would be very interesting. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, well, there's process of refinement. And The Lord of the Rings is a fantastic book and it tells everything it needs to. I I kind of feel like something to, to use the Cimmerillion as a launching point is good. I don't think that they should have the name Lord of the Rings on there at all. I think it should just be Tolkien's Cimmerillion or Tolkien's whatever they want to call it because putting the Lord of the Rings in there as a name, it's going to make people go, oh, I'm only interested when Aragorn comes in or Legolas or any of the people that I already know. This is probably not going to happen. Well, because it's set thousands of years beforehand. Yeah. Um uh, I wonder if this is the thing. I don't know. No, no, I don't think something it's, else. I think yeah. that's a game. Oh, yeah. that's that's an animated series. Yeah, um, War of the Hirum. Um, but good. it's uh, it'll be. I'll be look. I'll probably look at it because I've got Prime. So, yeah. um, but I'm not a I'm not a purist. I remember purist friends of mine talking. Purist <laughs> friends of mine in when the films came out, going, oh, "I'm really disappointed that Tom Bombadil's not in it." <laughs> and you're like, I don't even know what the fuck that is, and then. <laughs> People explain it to me, and you're like, "Oh, I think I think Peter Jackson probably made a good call." Yeah, and especially when you look at what he went on to do with The Hobbit, where it was just oversaturation and overuse of extra stuff. Like, no, The Hobbit is a wonderful little book that you could have told in one movie, maybe two if you really wanted to go crazy with it. Three. But otherwise, three, you're stretching shit out and unnecessarily make adding characters in that were not in it. Don't do that. So here we are. The series will be just called, at this stage, Lord of the Rings. Oh, it's a mistake. Well, we'll it, see. They, they, wanted their, they wanted their own Game of Thrones, so maybe they'll get it. That's fair. Um, That's fair. So, well, the, uh, Amazon have got that in development, and they've got uh, the Wheel of Time series, which is a much better we want to have our Game of Thrones because... Most the the average person probably doesn't know what the wheel of time. No, I'm, I'm going to say that that, that Lord <laughs> of the Rings has a a sticker appeal yeah. that Neil Jordan's Wheel of Time just does not. Yeah, so it's like okay, at least with this you're setting your your bar nice and low. Lord of the Rings, people are going to have the expectations straight off the bat. It's going to be an uphill struggle. I just like if anybody if Jeff Bezos is listening, and I, I know he's a regular fan. Of course, yeah. Um, Edgar Rice Burroughs. Yes, We've said it before. A TV series based on his shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe not the Tarzan stuff because maybe very no, 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 dangerous. Bit, like, but it, the John Carter stuff, the Princess of Mars stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, we're both fans of John Carter. Um, they 
did a good adaptation and took out a lot of the, <laughs> the very inappropriate stuff that um, is just littered throughout it. They can update, you can update these things and still have them being respectful to the source material. It's a good kickoff point. If you're going to, yeah. I mean, you're just going to kick it off. You're doing similar and you're kicking it off. But yeah. uh, no one listens to us. But if no. you if you are, um, well, we know that the Joe Blow guys listen to us. They do. Because they just copy our home. But surely, surely, the Burroughs catalog would be affordable. I think it's a public domain. I mean, some places it would be, yeah. I would imagine that maybe not anymore because Disney produced and released John Carter and they are very, very quick on making sure that they hold the But like Sherlock Holmes is public domain in certain yeah. parts of the world now. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, that's just, we've gone off hammer. <laughs> now, it is your turn. What is the next level? It was a tricky one. It was an uphill battle. I, I know. I gave you no exit. There was no exit. This is no. death, death machine, thank God, <laughs> for. Um, uh, what's the guy's name? Um, Grimmer Wormtongue. Um, uh, yeah, Stephen Dorff. Uh, Stephen Dorff, yes. Uh, got us out of that one. Uh, I, yeah, it was, I was spoiled for choice here, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you go for something. I mean, I, I, sticking where I am, sticking with things that I have either not seen or seldom seen time. or just seen parts of. Mm-hmm. And we're going to follow the great, the late great Richard Attenborough. Mm-hmm. Um, and Miracle on 31st. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> you fucker. <laughs> I owe you one for this. I sat for four hours of this shit. Oh, I'm sorry. Death Machine. Fuck yeah. you. <laughs> um, that was that was entertaining compared to, at least it was over quickly. No, um, it didn't feel like it. <laughs> it didn't actually. It kind of did feel like it went for four hours. We're going to go, we're going to go somewhere great, though. I'm going to yeah. be, this is a treat. We're going to be watching 1963's The Great Escape. <sighs> That's good. I feel like I've seen most of it, but God, I, I don't know if I've ever sat down and watched it start to finish. And if I have, God, it had to be 25 years ago. Yeah, it's been a long time. I'm, this is kind of the shit that my dad would put on yeah. and just say, yep, you're watching this. Like, okay, I'm all right with that because this is great. I think this is fairly knowledge as, as a masterpiece. Yeah. And I think we saw it referenced again in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where they, yes. they CGI'd um, um, uh, Leo DiCaprio yeah. into Steve McQueen's role. So. It's a World War II escape from the Nazis mm-hmm. film, not like Hogan's Heroes. No. Um, it's number 141 on the uh, top 250 on IMDb. So it's going to be, I'm going to have to start thinking about where I'm going to go next. And but I think I actually know. And this has, a, this has a pretty incredible cast. Yeah. Steve McQueen, James Garner, Richard Attenborough, Charles Bronson, Donald Pleasance, James Coburn. Those oh, are the ones there I are know. So many options. And there are other people in here who I'm sure are famous in their day who I've just never heard of. But, you know. Um, you know, I'm sure you'll find your way out of that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna be okay with that. Um, <laughs> but you're dipping back to the 60s here, and I'm, I'm and this is on stand, by the way. If you want to, you want to watch at home, it should be available on stand here in Australia. Can't speak about your foreign mm-hmm. streaming services, so check your local directories. Lovely, all right, 30 minutes in, we are doing well. Do you need a uh, commercial break, or should we go one more? Should we go one more? Go one more. Um, we, Ben, didn't get to talk about it because it had just premiered yeah. the night where the night of the incident. The night of the blackout. Um, and the, we are now four weeks in. Yeah. I've only seen the first three because I wasn't stuck in the car park watching <laughs> the latest episode. I was able to watch an entire episode of Loki in my car whilst trying to get out of Doncaster Shopping Centre car park. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, and that's an average. That's, we are available for sponsorship, Doncaster Shopping Centre. <laughs> We won't chastise you at all, I promise. 
Um, so we have four episodes interviewing new mm-hmm. Disney Plus series on Disney Plus in Australia, yep. starring, of course, Tom Hiddleston as mm-hmm. his role of Loki mm-hmm. um, from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We have in there probably the other big name is Owen Wilson in there as Mobius. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Richard Grant's in here. He's not turned up yet. Yes, though. and so uh, Tara Strong, um, who you're probably better known for her voice work. Yeah, um, 100%. If you don't know who Tara Strong is, look up her look up her IMDb page. She's done You'll it. suddenly go, oh, I know all of her work. My Little Pony, she's Powerpuff Girls. Uh, she's like the the voice actress. Uh, yeah, she's, she's, she's actually incredible. Yeah. Um, so we start with those who are not mm-hmm. this, I would say, though, We've said this before. I think we had a person question us back about uh, WandaVision. Mm. Or should I just watch it if I'm not up to date with MCU? Mm-hmm. For this, I would say absolutely not. You do need to be up with your MCU. I would say so. They do try to kind of put a bit of a launching point because this, um, I guess, mild spoilers, it launches off from events in um, Avengers Endgame. And that's where this picks up. So it's, again, mild spoilers. It's not Loki we see um, at the... Uh, it, 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 the timeline it, here is confusing. So yeah, you, you this, really... This is not the, the final... This is not, not the Loki who was... Uh, spoilers for a two-year-old yeah, film. Yeah. Um, if you haven't seen Endgame, put your fingers in your ears. Hmm. Uh, and what the fuck have you been doing? <laughs> um, Biggest movie of all time. No, yeah. I've been watching. Um, so Loki, who was killed mm. at the start of Endgame by Thanos, yeah. is not this Loki. This is the Loki who was arrested yes. at the end of the original Avengers film. Yes. So in the Avengers Endgame, when during their time travel shenanigans, we see uh, at the end of the Battle of New York, uh, that the, the Tesseract is dropped. Yes. And Loki grabs it and boom, disappears. Oof. And that is where our story starts. Absolutely. He, he turns up in a desert somewhere and is shortly thereafter arrested by the TVA, TVA the Time Variance, Variance Authority or something. Authority, yeah. I can't remember exactly what they're called. Um, <laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> it really doesn't, but they're like the Time Cops. Yeah. And then he is subjected, he is arrested and taken back to TVA headquarters mm-hmm. where he is processed through quite a funny sequence. Essentially like a cosmic DMV. Very much so. <laughs> but the, the aesthetic in the show in the TVA world, I feel, is very heavily Fallout influenced. Yeah. Yeah, I got that. Yeah. Um, so. so if you're a fan of Fallout, you'll be like, that looks familiar. Yeah. There's a fantastic little animated sequence where they explain, mm-hmm. they do a nice little exposition dump explaining what the TV is and why it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's done, by the way, of a 1950s-style animated commercial yes. while he's in line at the TVA. Sort of think um, think the scene in um, Jurassic Park where they explain how they splice the DNA. Yeah, that sort of thing um, mixed with almost like um, that slightly kind of time-out-of-place feeling of like... Um, uh, Tim Burton's Batman or uh, Superman, the animated series, where it's kind of modern, but at the same time, it's got like this kind of 1960s, 50s art deco y kind of It's called retro futuristic, yeah. is, is where it's. Yeah. Um, and then we meet Owen Wilson, who is the, one of the agents who is on the hunt for a variant, shall we say, mm-hmm. uh, another time criminal, for one of the better terms, mm-hmm. who's going around killing TVA agents. Yes. And he wants Loki to help him yep. in catching catching that, that killer yep. because that killer is 
Loki, a variant, a, a, different, a different Loki from a different reality. Yes. Um, so if that sounds confusing to you, I've done my best. Um, the that was might, pretty good, I think. Um, the show does contain a lot of that kind of timeline-y, multiverse kind of mm -hmm. stuff. So George, very familiar with comic books. This is a very much trope in comic books. Oh, God, yes. Huge trope. Yeah. Um, and we've been talking about it for a while now because we know the next Doctor Strange film is called The Multiverse of Madness. Yes. So, and, you know, we're like, is it going to be Spider-Man going to do this? Mm -hmm. Maybe they tease us and they didn't. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like this might be the setup for... I feel like it seems like with so far all of the Marvel TV shows that have come out on Disney Plus have been primers for the next movies and just setting everyone up, giving... Um, some actors a bit more chance to revel in the roles like Tom Hiddleston was a fan favorite as a, as a villain and people really enjoyed him and they wanted more, but his story came to an end in the movies. This is a great opportunity to, to branch off and do something else. They're literally coming out with a what if series, which is going to be interesting and it's probably going to tie in with a bunch of this stuff as well. WandaVision gave Wanda the big focus that she needed if she's going to be as heavily involved in the new Doctor Strange movie as it seems she is. Um, a bit of a resurgence slash send-off, depending on how the character goes for Paul um, Bettany's character. Um, and but of course, we, we, gave, we, we basically crowned a new Captain America yeah. in, in Winter Soldier, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is what needed to happen. Yeah. You assume the next team up film will involve of course um, there's going to be anthony mackie as the yeah. captain america yeah. and so you're right and they've been, and kevin Feige is now saying this is going to massively change the mm. and part of change the marvel universe and part of that is because they basically write out the infinity stones in the first episode they're, <laughs> yeah. they're essentially they're being used as paperweights paperweights yeah and the, um i know I, I don't want to go into too spoilery mm. for the next few episodes but overall what's your impression been so far um, it's great to see Tom Nicholson playing Loki again. He is really comfortable in that role. He is, he, unfortunately, he's lose. I, I feel like at the moment he's losing the level of threat that mm. should underlie this character. Yes, he's the god of mischief, but at the same time, he was the big bad of an Avengers movie, and they have muted him over the course of all the time. He was like a a joke for the other Thor movies, essentially, and he got a bit of redemption arc, but he's now the guy that just kind of seems to fumble through shit. Very Hugh Grant-esque almost. Like, yeah. you know, almost like, almost like Four Weddings and Loki, kind of like, um, <laughs> you know, it's... Don't give them ideas. Oh, there's a crossover event of it, and you can have that one. The um, Richard Curtis verse. <laughs> Oh, no, I'd, I'd probably pay to see that. Um, but you're right. Like, he, he was, if you think back to that film, the mm -hmm. event film, he was really menacing heading into that one. He yeah. was menacing in the first four movie to a degree. Yeah. Um, he was the puppet master pulling a string of some pretty fucked exactly. up shit. And you're right. And this show just isn't, you're right, he has no threat at all because I guess he's kind of a protagonist. He's, well, he's certainly in the first few episodes, he's like, doing the typical Loki thing of fish out of water, in essence, trying to gain the system and learn the system at the same time and just fake it till he makes it. But the story doesn't 
in the first three episodes, first four without any spoilers, um, it doesn't really give him an opportunity to be a threat. It's always in all of these shows, regardless of who it is, whether they were going to make Wanda the villain, which I was hoping for in WandaVision, or um, how they treated, um, what's his fuck, Wyatt, Wyatt Russell's character, I can't remember his name, uh, um, US agent. Fake Captain America. Uh, yeah, um, it was like, oh, is he going to be a bit of a villain character? They kind of balls it up and they just go, oh, no, there's, there's something bigger going on behind the scenes. It's like, there doesn't always have to be, you know. You can tell an interesting story that is just so contained. self-contained. And this is just six episodes. It's not a very big show. And it's like, okay, I've got to the end of episode four. And it's like, okay, there's uh, there's someone behind the curtain, behind the curtain, behind the curtain. And it's like, all right. I probably know how this is going to end, honestly. And it's like, mm, all right. I found the first three episodes a little bit exposition heavy. They kind yeah. of felt fillery. Yeah. I've been, the thing I think I've enjoyed most of that is is the relationship between Loki and Mobius. Mm. Owen Wilson and Tobit Hiddleston work together beautifully on screen. Very interesting. And it's wonderful to see Owen Wilson yeah. back acting in because yes. I haven't seen – the last thing I saw him in was that weird thing he did with Summer Hayek on Prime. I can't remember what it was called, but it was oh, fucking terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you talked about it. It was bad. So, um, yeah. But it's good to see him back kind of in a – He's not doing Owen Wilson, you know. He's not. No. Wow. You know, the, like every now and then he says like now. Yeah. And it, it, it comes through a little bit there, and it's like okay, but it's not distracting. That's all right. He's he's not he's not straight comedy, but it's mm. it's it's dry. Yeah. The kind of and he works so well with Tom Hiddleston. So yeah, Loki and Mobius. And I've heard people going, "Oh, we just sit around and talk for twenty minutes." I'm like. Oh, you're tiresome. These are the same people who probably thought the first episodes of WandaVision were boring. Yeah. And they wanted yeah. more explosions. Yeah. Um, so the production value of this it looks gorgeous. is incredible. It looks incredible. Yeah. Um, where I think for me, I think my only three episodes, I'm an episode behind you, is where it started to trip up a little bit and weaken for me a smidge mm-hmm. was on reveal of the variant. And that I was not surprising. Uh, it was not surprising, and I knew it was going to happen mm-hmm. because – I think everybody kind of knew it was going to happen because, like, yeah. I've been watching YouTubers who have been complaining about it. Yeah. Um, so if you want to know nothing about anything of this show, just um, close your eyes because I'm going to give it up the spoilers thing now. a smidgen of a hit. Not about what they do, but just who the variant is. Spoilers at 42 minutes. There you go. You've go. had your chance. There is it's the female Loki. Yeah. Uh, and, again, I knew this was going to happen, mm-hmm. and I haven't really read very much. just watching – just said some YouTubers who were whinging yeah. about it as being as one of the things that they like to whinge about. Um, yeah. And I'm like, that's fine. I mean, and, you know, the other thing that people whinge about here has been the fact that he identifies as gender fluid in this because, yeah. well, I mean, in, in the comic books, he's done all sorts of crazy shit. So and yeah. as has the um, as has the, the, the actual mythical character of yeah. Loki. Um, so none of that has been of any bother to me, and I kind of knew it was all going to happen. Yeah. Um, but I think the actress that have got to play uh, the variant Loki, mm. uh, the female Loki, for one of those terms, Sylvie. Sophie DiMartino. Sophia DiMartino, DiMartino, who I've never heard of before. Mm. Um, British actress. Um, she was in Yesterday, which is a film I liked. Okay. Other than that, I have not seen anything she's been in. No. Um, but I don't think she's very good. As an actress, I don't – if that horror writing, if, whatever it is, that character isn't working for me. And as soon as she shows up, the show feels very Doctor Who. 
That's fair. That's fair. I, I don't think she's um, portraying the character badly. I think she's actually, she's doing what she's kind of been told to do. I just don't think it's very inventively written and they are trying to keep it a bit of a kind of a whodunit kind of vibe to it, but they're failing in the writing. The writing of the the overarching story seems to be very, very lacking compared to how good the the banter is between the um, the two of Owen and Tom. And interestingly, one of the main writer on the series seems to be Michael Waldron, who's credited mm. with six episodes. Okay. He's best known for Rick and Morty. Okay. Um, and that show's brilliantly written. Yeah. Um, so obviously that's Dan Harmon and not this dude. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a bit like more, how more that, Morty later. or like maybe Damon Lindelof, right? Like he, he, he yeah. worked with Abrams and all of a sudden he was getting these amazing gigs and you're like, He's not very good. He's really not very good. He knows how to do some stuff. Like um, uh, the Watchmen series was actually that was good. one out of the bag. Um, um, and you know, there's there's some people that have a very niche element where they can just just pick at it and, and do something good. But the character seems off base or incomplete. So I and if you're right. I am prepared to fully give it. It could mm. be the actress, and probably is the actress doing exactly what the director mm. and the writers have asked of it. It just doesn't really work very well for me. Mm. It didn't feel exciting. It was not the chemistry between her and Tom Hiddleston's characters mm. was kind of cliche. Yeah, it kind of, kind of like it's kind of you know a head butting thing. Oh, we don't like each other, but by the end, we're going to be working together. Yeah, and it's really cliche, and that's what it kind of reminded me of again that. Sort of vibe when Doctor Who meets a new companion, yeah. Know. And she kind of looks a bit like Sophie with um, Jodie Whittaker. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, the problem, the problem with that, is I absolutely agree with that. And from episode three onwards, so much hangs on that relationship. It's like, okay, wow, you should have worked harder on that. If that's where you're going to hang the rest of this story on their relationship going forwards are they antagonistic what are they going to do is he going to backstab her what, what's going to happen here it just feels paper thin it's like this is not good enough sorry <laughs> uh, i'm being a bit hard is mini yeah. show i think is massively overrated on imdb it has an 8.9 mm. um it's nowhere near that good for me it's not bad it by no means is bad i'm enjoying it yeah enough yeah but i personally think it's the weakest of the three series so far that's fair. At least with uh, Captain America and Winter Soldier, they were trying to bring in more social elements and just basic things like, well, did you not earn money when you were an Avenger? And little yeah. things like that. So like, oh, you know what? That's actually an interesting little niggle to go for. This is taking place not in the cosmos. This is in offices that are referring to the cosmos and random moments in time for places that we have no reference to. And I'm sure that there are deep Marvel fans who are going, ah, oh, well, the Roxcorp building is in relation to this story arc, mm -hmm. or that planet is in relation to that. That has things to do with Galactus and things like that, or whatever. I don't know that. And it's just like, okay, CGI planet. Okay. And it kind of felt like the planet on the third episode kind of reminded me of Borderlands a little bit, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it's interesting because that film has finished shooting. Yeah, um, we've got quite a cast on that. Uh, I'm being fascinated to see that because mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, Blanchett in a video game movie. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll be right. Maybe this will be the one. Maybe this will be the one. <laughs> Maybe. I've only been saying it for seven years. Well, we had, we had Sonic that ended up being a success and Detective Pikachu, so there are two. You see, you see, it's the garbage video games, the ones that have no story. There have been the ones that have actually made, the ones that have actually had stories embedded in them that you sort of think and go, well, like everybody says how good the Mass Effect stories were. I mean, I don't know. There's been no film of that yet, I don't think, unless Uwe Boll's working on one. <laughs> um, but, like, we've got the... um. That the point the Sony ones, Naughty Dog games, the treasure hunting. Oh one. yeah, um, uh, Uncharted. Uncharted. And apparently that's got a good story. I don't know. Um, and apparently we're working on the Last of Us movie, so maybe. Yeah. But anyway, we, that that prediction will be right one day. I might be dead by the time it happens. <laughs> um, but it, I mean, it's Loki from us. It's kind of a it's alright. It, it's alright. I I hope that the final two episodes really turn it around. I'm looking forward to seeing what Richard E. Grant does because. Big fan of his. Um, love his work always. He always. See, it says, it says he's in three episodes. So he might where he's buried in one of the other ones. So. Okay. Um, he's in like, I didn't watch till the end of the credits. For in the post credit scene, maybe? I haven't seen anything. I'll, I'll look into that. But unless I really didn't notice things, but I'm pretty sure I know how this is going to end. It is my superpower, as, as long standing um, listeners will know. But. Who knows if this is the the lock to open up the cosmic multiverse that gets fully developed in Sam Raimi's Doctor Strange? Okay, but otherwise, I think this is a bit of filler to get us through and give another another character and actor a bit of more love than he necessarily got in the movies. Nah, it's it's not terrible. It's just yeah, maybe not as good as everybody's telling you it is. Yeah, I'm just finding it a bit meh. I agree. See a bit more, I, bit more meat on the bone. Yeah, it, it feels a little incomplete. There you go. We're we're sticking the boots in tonight. Um, <laughs> shall now, we? Yeah. Shall we go to the sponsors? We're gonna go to our sponsors. Yeah. Our sponsors tonight include Shiba Cat Food from 1986. So, <laughs> uh, if we do that, and you'll bear with us a tick. We'll. Get our sponsorship ready as we uh, regularly do. Oh, that advert is already impressive. <laughs> and you're seeing it, you can see it yet, but we are just about. <laughs> okay, and. Oops, hang on a second, I'm going to do that again. Uh, the share audio button's down there at the bottom. Go. There we go. Share audio, yeah, yep, yep. And, and that one, no, that one. And. Go, and, come again. And. and my freaking. There's my audio. There you go. Josie Sun. Until now, here's a first from Dortmund. Sunproof satin. The first satin paint that goes on just about any surface outside your home, without a primer or undercoat. Sunproof will last as long as any gloss finish, but with a subdued elegance only a satin paint can give. On your Torbans. Sunproof satin meets the sun, sun. Almost makes it fun, sun. Torbans goes on like a song. There are no second chances with microwave cooking. The wrong plastic wrap can turn your duck a l'orange into duck a la plastique. But with Glad Microwave, you can be sure to get it right first time. Because it's the only plastic wrap specifically designed to handle the torturous heat that microwaves generate. 
So if you want the right microwave result, get the right stuff. Glad Microwave. This is one way to look at a Mars bar. This is another. Mmm. Full cream dairy milk, natural cane sugar, glucose from wheat, and thick, thick milk chocolate. Mmm. So as your next Mars disappears from view, remember, it's all the sustaining goodness in a Mars that helps you work, rest, and play. The room that needs to be more than just clean needs the unique two-way action of Harpic powder. Harpic's bleaching action cleans and freshens the entire bowl. And Harpic powder's foaming power cleans right through the S-Bend. Harpic powder. The power to clean, hygienically clean. Le Specs French lesson number 27. On the cons. Cosmopolitan, discover the five phases of a love affair and learn how to make it last. If you're letting stress wind you up, Cosmopolitan tells how to unwind and perform at your best. Male models, seven sexy men talk about the dark side of their profession. And Jackie Collins' sizzling new blockbuster novel, Hollywood Husbands. It's all in November Cosmopolitan. Out now. Funny thing about dairy farming. Everything goes in cycles. Oh, yeah. You milk the cows at sunup, you milk the cows at sundown. You send the milk out to the co-op in a tanker, and it comes back in a tub of Devondale butter to give you the energy to get up and milk the cows again, eh? <laughs> Devondale butter helps make the day better for farmers' families and every other family in Australia. Does your dad make Devondale butter? Of course. Can't you see your cows on the pad? Have you noticed how everywhere you go these days, everybody's serving white wine? Don't get me wrong, I've got nothing against white wine. It's great with meals. But a lot of the time, you want something more refreshing than wine. That's when I have Cinsano. Cinsano Bianco. Soda, maybe a dash of orange. Less alcohol than wine. And much more refreshing. I don't think anybody drinks Cinzano anymore, do they? Um, people who are desperate? I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of thing. You just kind of think it comes pretty cheap. Yeah. Well, there is less alcohol than wine. You so. know, if it paid us more, we would have probably plugged their shitty product. But yeah. as it was, 
Uh, <laughs> our sponsors are so high profile that we're not actually allowed to talk about them. That's why they sent us a shitty VHS tape with yeah. bad tracking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's all part of a plan. Um, so, yes, 1986, uh, mm-hmm. um, with Devendale Cheese and yep. Well, it's, it's very important. If you're doing duck a orange in a microwave, <laughs> <laughs> it's really important to have the right glam wrap. <laughs> oh, that's a controversial uh, controversial opinion. Um, uh, orange, I bet there is a microwave recipe. That, that was the advert for it. Really? Yeah. And um, new technology, Polaroid. Right. In an instant. Um, in an instant. Seems they still make Polaroids. I know. They're, they're a kitsch thing that people just have hanging around their necks. Um, I don't really understand the point because it gets your physical photograph straight away. That's yeah, that is something that mobile phones can't really do. So, so it's kind of like I mean, it would yeah. take me at least two minutes to do it with my printer, so <laughs> uh, and I don't have to um do that thing, but maybe it's just got to be the other retro appeal, yeah, I think so. Um, speaking of retro appeal, retro appeal, here's something that's not actually retro at all, so that's segue. <laughs> Doesn't work, but it's um, still amazing. But uh, it's, it's it's entertaining, and in the end, isn't that the real truth? It is. No, <laughs> is the answer. Um, <laughs> Did we learn anything? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> um, thank you, Simpson. Um, so we talk about Black Summer now. Yeah. Um, Black Summer is the Netflix zombie series. We have season two has just landed a week and a bit ago, I think. Okay. Um, now. I didn't know it was coming. It was quite a nice surprise for me. Um, those who are long-time listeners, again, you know, there's help available if you need it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you might mm-hmm. recall a while ago we did talk about, well, I talked about season one. Yes. And i got to be honest, when I started watching season two, I could remember fuck all about what happened in season one, except there was zombies in it, and I quite liked it. <laughs> um and that was about it, really. It's, it's a good starting point for you. You do like your zombies. I do. If you don't look at me, fairness, if you don't like zombies, then this is absolutely not the show for you. Uh, if you, um, if you, I guess, don't like tense kind of shows, this is not for you. Um, this was a spin-off, I believe, of a previous um, zombie TV show called Z Nation. Oh, right, yeah, I remember. Which ran on the Sci-Fi channel, I yeah. think, in the States. Um, and for about three or four years, and people recommended it to me occasionally. Mm. Um, and I tried it and absolutely hated it mm-hmm. because it was a weird hodgepodge of a show, Z Nation. I think it was kind of like, it kind of felt like it was trying to be funny. Um yeah, that's right. So yeah. in IMDb says action comedy drama. Yeah. And it had this weird comedic tone to zombie comedies can work. I mean, there was that warm bodies. The warm bodies and uh the Jesse uh Jesse Eisenberg and uh Zombieland. Zombieland yes. And let's not forget Shaun of the Dead, which yeah. just nailed it and you had to start and finish that conversation but Absolutely. so it can work but yeah. it didn't work and z nation also looks super cheap which i know is shocking considering it's a sci-fi channel because everything on there looks they had a moment where they were making good stuff it was battlestar galactica revival and caprica which then died after one season uh and then there was sharknado after was oh. um, <laughs> i think so i think they were like sharknado 12 or something, something now. now so we need that sharknado fast and furious crossover um it'll happen 
Fast and Furious were able to go to space. I believe the last the next talk was in Sharknado film might be set in space. So um, <laughs> I, that might have been a joke. That, that might have been a joke. Um, have you actually seen any of Sharknado films? No, and I don't have any interest. They're just a standing joke that I want to never, ever truly understand properly. <laughs> Although there was something, maybe Sharknado and The Meg. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, they could potentially mix the Fast and Furious with the Meg. Jason Statham's in there. It's a twin brother. Mm, okay. Another Shaw brother. <laughs> well, so I didn't like the Nation, but somehow mm. this is said to be, I think, supposed to be a prequel. Okay. That show somehow it's supposed to be connected in that universe. Mm -hmm. But the, the strangest thing for me is that it's a completely different tone. Okay. So that works in the sense that I really quite like Black Summer. I like season one okay. So I didn't remember very much about it, like the characters, who they were. Mm. I remember at the end of a series they raided a building with bad guys in it, I think. Um, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> it was kind of a couple of years ago. So um, I, I, I was struggling a little bit there to, to really remember exactly what had happened. Yeah. But season two, you probably – I would recommend watching season one before mm -hmm. watching this if you haven't. And if you have, so like me, seen season one and you don't remember anything about it, might be a very good time to actually go back and revisit it and refresh your memory a little bit because the season doesn't spend any time okay. doing that for you. Are they long seasons? No, it's only eight episodes. Okay. Um, they are one-hour episodes, so they're, they're chunky. Okay. You get eight hours of content. Yeah. Um, and... This uh, is a synopsis. In the dark early days of a zombie apocalypse, complete strangers band together to find the strength they need to survive and get back to loved ones. Yeah. Um, that's probably a fairly decent overview. Basically, this season engages in a lot more fractal storytelling. Yeah. So we have the same event told from three or four different perspectives, okay. or we start at the end okay. of a, a, an encounter. And then we go back and see what happened that led up to that thing, that moment happening. Okay. And okay. so the story jumps around in time and perspective quite regularly. And I know that upsets some people. If it doesn't, if you don't like that, this is probably going to bother you. Do they do it well? I think they do it fairly well. Okay. Um, I didn't have any trouble following what was going on. Mm -hmm. What I did have trouble was caring about most of the characters. Okay. So like, there'd be a character pop up, and he'd be a couple of times. I think he was somebody in season one. <laughs> I don't remember his name. I don't remember what his story was. Yeah, main characters here are the characters of Rose and her daughter, so Anna. Jamie King, who is probably – most people probably know her from Sin City. Um, Goldie. Goldie. Um, she was in the spirit. Wow. Um, yeah, there were people in spirit, <laughs> and that was the thing that happened. I don't think I ever got around to seeing that. It was terrible, though. It's not good. Um, and the daughter, uh, Anna, played by Zoe Marlott, who I don't recognise mm -hmm. as being in anything I've ever seen before. But she's fine. Yeah. They're both fine in this. And those two characters are probably our protagonists. Okay. We also have the character of Sun, played by Christine Lee, who I definitely remember from season one. She was definitely, definitely in it. Okay. And she's Korean. Okay. Um and she doesn't speak English, which is an interesting angle for someone in the middle of a zombie apocalypse, which is an interesting little angle for them to take. Yeah. Um, and what I guess season two really tells us is the world is definitely in an incredibly chaotic doggy dog, every man, woman, child for themselves, mm -hmm. fate.
days of the apocalypse. Um, you know, there's this scene where they go to the supermarket and people are just walking out with pallets of toilet paper and <laughs> it's just like and then the, the, no, that was that was 18 months ago. Ah, oh, getting confused. That was that was yeah. a different that was Sydney this week. Yeah. Um <laughs> Welcome to the rest of us, Sydney. <laughs> um, so, but you know, it, it's it's very violent and brutal, mm. and like encounters of between people over scarce supplies are regular. It's like life is nasty, brutish, and short. It this is, is mid social destruction. Completely, it's it's completely yeah, man in his natural state. It's like mm. dog eat dog kind of world now. Okay. He who has the biggest guns, okay. um, and there are sort of. It's difficult to really understand anybody's motivation other than survival. Okay. So great groups of people band together, it sort of says, in an effort to survive. Mm -hmm. Their only loyalties to their, you know, in this case, Anna's great daughter. Mm -hmm. really isn't a great deal of loyalty to each other, and people will switch sides at a, at a moment's notice given, you know, the, the right, right, right motivation. Yeah. Um, and I kind of enjoyed that about this series. Like, mm -hmm. a lot of it – so this – season there is a group of characters who are sort of a militiary kind of group of people okay um that they, they have you know body armor and they sort of they seem reasonably well trained mm -hmm. think of the assholes who raided the capital in the u.s in january those kind of assholes <laughs> um, oh, um you know they're cosplaying as soldiers <laughs> yeah um and so they're doing stuff <laughs> they're like going out and like you know killing our you know survivors survivors and like mm. raiding supply caches and trying to catch for there's a regular plot about them trying to find the landing spot for a plane that they keep seeing going overhead okay um and they're sort of trying to track that down and you know they keep bumping into them we keep seeing what they're doing but they really don't know who they are we don't know okay. why exactly they're doing this um what's their story you know why is this guy here you can see in the picture here yeah, covered in blood. You know, why is he? He's just referred to in, as the leader in this in the subtitles all the way through. Who is he? Why is he the leader? Why do they listen to him? Don't know. Still a better name than the protagonist. Better than the protagonist. Someone at work once just said to me, "Could I explain the plot of Tenet to him?" <laughs> I just had to go. Oh yeah, no. I don't no. think anybody can do that. Maybe Chris Nolan. Um, but um, yeah. So, but that said, that doesn't really bother me because I kind of enjoyed that that episodic nature of each encounter. Yeah. Like, I don't need to know everybody's backstory. Yeah. Um, I don't need it. Whereas, you know, for Walking Dead now, everyone has, like, an eight-season backstory and, you know. It, it, feel, it feels like there's there's a lot of shows like The Walking Dead that fall into a trap that happens with a lot of anime where it's like, ah, oh, it's the big fight. We are going to spend six episodes now going into the backstory of every single person that's watching this big fight just so you know how they feel. That's it. That's all. Um, and then, then after a year, we'll go back to, to finishing it. Yeah, next season we'll get the fight. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, I, I liked for Walking Dead for a time, but it's kind of jumped the shark. Yeah. Um, but I kind of like that about this is nasty, British, and short. The encounters aren't all explained. We don't need everyone to have a story. Where is this set? In the United States somewhere. If this one is set in the northern states, I'm guessing, or Canada maybe, because okay. it's very cold and snowy. Okay. Um which is probably not a bad idea in a zombie apocalypse. These, these zombies don't freeze, though, unlike some zombies. Mm, okay. um, what, what I said was, I said on Facebook, this is what the World War Z should have been. Mm. And I, I, I hope someone somewhere is just, maybe this is successful. I have no idea. It's on Netflix. We really don't know. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it's taking off a spark in someone's head going, 
You know that World War Z property that made five hundred million dollars in a Brad Pitt movie, but I thought it was terrible. I mean, some people are like, oh, it's a good zombie movie. You take the World War Z logo off it, and you're like, no, no, it's not. It's not. It really wasn't. The yeah. the color the, the pop. The pyramiding zombies was an interesting idea, mm-hmm. and the video game. We both really enjoyed the video game. Yeah, it was um, fun. It was fun, but um, the film not so much. Yeah. Um, but hey, it, people like it. It made a lot of money yep. before the pandemic. There was talk of David Fincher helming a sequel. Yeah. Um, I think that's gone away. Um, for now, at least. And I'm like, this is the sh- this is exactly the forum in which World War Z would thrive. Mm. And people are like, oh, you couldn't film it because it's boring. And I'm like, I yes. don't think you could. I just don't know if a feature film was necessarily a way to tell the story. Yeah. Um, and I think a show like Black Summer is a perfect example of why World War Z would work in the sense mm. that we don't necessarily know a lot about these people. We don't know their stories. We're not with them for a very long time. Yeah. So we had that sort of a general plot line of Rose and her daughter going through it. But really, it's not that much you know yeah. uh, um so i, I think it, it reminds you of because it's so brutal and tense excuse me tense like every i wouldn't i couldn't binge this show mm. i could watch an episode at a time and he did to spend a couple of hours breathing because it was so tense mm. it didn't quite nail it as it went on but the first three or four episodes are really strong okay. so look i like it a lot if you don't like fractal storytelling mm. if you don't like extreme violence if you don't like zombies or horror these are all probably things to disqualify you. Yeah. Um, but other than that, if none of those things put you off, um, this is every bit as strong as the first season, if not better. Um, and like I said, just kind of set that twig off in your mind. Why can't we have nice things? Why can't you just like make the World War Z that we wanted and get these guys, these guys to do it? Because hearing it, you talk about it, it kind of makes you think the, the perfect way of creating World War Z would be essentially the way they did the, the Bill Bixby Incredible Hulk TV show, where there was not really an overarching story except he wants to find a way to cure himself. But every week it's just like, okay, he's just moving into this. There's not really any connected tissue from this one to that one. Yes, there are a couple of characters that re- repeat because they're chasing him down and hunting, but it's just him in this scenario dealing with... What well, do is that the, the, the character, the narrator character, is yeah. interviewing people about the war yeah. after the war. And it, um, it could just be an anthology series. Which I think would be fine. I mean, I yeah. think I think it would be cool. Like, do you remember the TV show The World at War? Yeah. The British documentary series directed narrated by Laurence Olivier. Yeah. I think it was something like that, but it was yeah. a, it was fake. It's like, you know, you got like you got yeah, like it's Kenneth Brannering to be your, you know, the World War Z, you know, uh, and you know, he's narrating uh, or a, a, a show about you know a documentary about a war that didn't happen. Yeah, that would be fucking cool. It would be cool, and you could even if you really wanted to, you could get different directors in just to have that little bit of a flair and just go like, oh, okay, this particular part of the story we're looking at what happens in Australia during this time. Get an Australian director, George Miller, come in and do one. Oh, we're going over to America. We're going to England, France, wherever the story takes place, and just get that little bit of flavor coming in. It's like, yep, we're just sourcing. It's just an outsource. This is a global production where two weeks of filming, you're doing this story. It's held together by Ken Branagh doing the. Well, I think of it a little bit like what they've done with um, The Mandalorian, because yeah. we had Taika Waititi doing an episode, and you exactly. had other people doing episodes because they were interested in it, you know. Um, and no. the thing is, most of the material is untouched mm. because the film didn't use any of it except for a little bit of the Israel scene. But, mm-hmm. um, 
maybe that would be a link into the movie. I don't know. Um, but anyway, I know I've been, I, I, this is, I, I rave on about Ab Nauseam because it's such a great book and it's such a great story and it would be great to see it turned into something, but I don't see I don't like our chances. But yeah. Black Summer will, you know, tide you over for your zombie needs. Okay. Okay, cool. Quick question. What is your favorite representation of a zombie? Oh, the, the Romero zombie. There is only one valid kind of zombie, and that is the Romero yeah, zombie. Fair. Look, I liked Dawn of the Dead. I, I think we talked about it a few weeks yeah. ago when we did Army of the Dead. But I, I am a fan of that Snyder film, and yeah. the fact that they ran was kind of spooky and scary. Yep. kind of made more sense in the 28 Days Later because they're not dead. Mm. Um, in the, as Simon Pegg has been fond of saying, death is not an energy drink. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So <laughs> I love that um, throwaway line that's heard in Shaun of the Dead. So like, uh, suggestions that is a rage infested zombies is utter bull, and it just cuts off. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um. So I I I don't like. I'm not a massive fan of a running zombies. Like I said, the pyramiding zombies in World War Z was an interesting new take yes. on it, and you know, all right. Um. But I think the the Romero Shambler zombie is more traditional. So I, I think. The idea that one isn't scary, mm. but a thousand is terrifying. Yeah, absolutely right. And the fact that he actually used social commentary as well to make it a compelling, interesting story. Well, well. Romero's certainly he invented the genre. Yeah, um, so, basically. So yeah, yeah. the Godfather. Uh, I mean, you know, and and uh, you know, all being said, I mean, my my bias declared. Uh, Dawn of the Dead is one of my favourite films of yeah. all time. I have like the $180 version special edition box set thingy out there on DVD, and it's I don't own money. physical media anymore. Don't you? <laughs> I don't know. You get in the habit again. You watch 16 Candles on this. <laughs> I don't own it, though. <laughs> Somebody else owns that. Yeah, yeah. This convenient um, excuse. They and they know like who that. his love of musicals. Somebody else owns a 16 Candles DVD. It's not me, and they know who they are, and they are listening. Um, <laughs> so, you know, they can answer that one, not me. Should we um, talk about Pixar? Yeah, let's talk about Pixar and the potential problem that I see developing with them. Um, so the new Pixar film has landed on Disney+. Plus. It, yeah. is, it is free to watch for anybody who's watching Loki. Again, um, much like how Soul was, but... Um, there's no there's no Mulan, The Last Dragon. It seems like Disney entire is all the premium stuff and their subsidiaries the fox the the pixar stuff it just goes goes wild um and i think some people at pixar were kind of pissed about that because i think mm -hmm. this was going to go to theaters at one point and so. with the covid uh, yeah. sorry the, the um the unknown virus of unspecified origin yes is is still doing a number in certain parts of the world yeah. <laughs> sydney um <laughs> um so i didn't actually know this existed until you mentioned it to me last night so i went out of my way to to find a copy and watch it. It's just making me look bad, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, well, I would like to posit a theory to you, and this maybe this is similar to yours. We didn't talk about this before mm. we went on air because you get it first. Yeah. Um, yeah edited, I gentlemen. feel like there is Pixar has two production teams now. Mm -hmm. It has the A production team and it has the B production team. Mm -hmm. And this is squarely in the B production lane. This is you know, the A team has just done Soul. Mm -hmm. Um, they'll move on to whatever they're moving on to next. Mm -hmm. All the while, we've got a B team. We had a good dinosaur a while ago. Mm -hmm. They finished a good design. The B team move on to Luca. I think this is B Pixar material. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree. And I feel like the longer Pixar is under the stewardship of Disney proper, the, the weaker their storytelling is slowly becoming. 
Like Soul was beautiful and it challenged um, a lot of concepts. It ended up kind of losing it because it went a little bit too deep down at the metaphysical, spiritual side of things. And that's just not easy to translate into any form of media. Um, but it was still, it still had heart and soul to it. Pardon the fun. Uh, yeah. The pun. Um, whereas this, it's, it feels like they're trying to do a bit of what Studio Ghibli did so well with things like Ponyo and um, Kiki's Delivery Service, where it is a young person. Sorry, this is very much a this is this is Disney laser focused at being a young person's. That's I felt that as well from a, from almost the, the minute the film started. Like, whereas a film, well, I think the true brilliance and genius of, of mm. Pixar is they make family movies mm. and family movies in a sense they it meant once upon a time yes. whereas every single you could take your kids along to see a family i want to say raiders of a lost ark but maybe not um <laughs> my, my thing would be something like up where it is they've literally got two gender uh two generation characters in there the young child and the old man um they have always excelled at layering meaning on oh, their stories. Any of it, a Toy Story film. Yeah. That was a kid's film, but there was so much hidden meaning in there yeah. for adults and jokes. Mm -hmm. um, for as you sort of said, Up, or uh, my favourite is it, Wally's -E, Pixel, isn't it? Yeah, that's, um, that's one of my very favorite. Uh, I, think, I think that's my favourite Disney film. Is like mm -hmm. It's actually a beautiful film, but, but you can take your kids and they will be utterly enthralled. Incredibles. Yes. Utterly enthralled. But for the adults, they're gonna they're kind of looking at it, going, "Oh fuck, yeah, that, they're actually talking about deeper things." It's all sorts. Of, I mean, or um, uh, the emotions one, uh, Inside Out. Like, yes. oh, what a what a masterpiece that was! Yes. Like, the kids are gonna love it. Yeah, I mean, that's Pixar's genius is that they've been able to land, like, land them where you don't. Doesn't matter how old you are. Yeah, their audience is anyone. Yeah, you got a pulse, you can see Pixar from yeah. this film. You're a hundred percent right. Felt like I was watching something made, mm. targeted. Laser focus, as you said, right. at kids. Yeah, and the no more is that shown than the way that the story ends. So we've done it the whole episode. We have not talked about any of what these movies are. <laughs> we haven't explained at all. But Luca is about um, a in fairness. If you don't know what Hamlet's about, that, that's true. Luca is about uh, Luca is a sea monster that lives under in the ocean near a very idealistic, quintessential, stereotypical Italian um, town township village. Yeah, it's, it's the closest thing that Italy would have to a seaside village. And they've got uh, seaside villages, don't they? Yeah, but when I think of village, I think of where I'm from. And That's racist. Yeah, damn right. British. It's <laughs> going just, home, ladies and gentlemen. British. It's just going British. home. Um, but this is, it is so, everything about this is idealized. There is essentially every character is a stereotype. Um, and it's just Luca wants more than what his life is, which is very, very fam familiar territory for Pixar. Yeah. Very um, familiar for Disney. Yeah. You know, well, you are fine the way you are. And if people don't like you the way they are, and not everyone will like you the way out, but you should be proud of the way you are. And that's fine. Yeah. You know? But in this world, these sea monsters, when they get up on land, when they dry off, they have human form. 
and it is Luca discovering who he wants to be. He learns about schools and friendship with people and the, the world out there and his eyes are open. And in the end, he just goes off. It's like, wait, what? what? You're just telling me that a sea monster is just going to be fully accepted going out beyond this very enclosed little community. No, he's going to fucking die. He's going to be on an autopsy table in a day and a half. Sorry. No. And that is where it absolutely nails the fact that this is just for kids. This is not at all trying to tell anything for, for adults. And it's really sad because Pixar can do so much better. Uh, in a sense, I think if, you, if you've got kids or, or younger people you'd like, you, something you, who, yeah. who might want to watch a film like this, mm-hmm. I think they're going to be quite satisfied with it. I think they're going to like it. Um, I, I think it does what it does quite effectively. It's kind of vague, unfocused, you know, yeah. it kind of meanders through at its own pace. It's got there, it's, um, you know, hour 35 minutes there and it's gone. doesn't overstay its welcome. It doesn't do anything largely wrong. Yeah. And I guess we, Pixar are a victim of our own success here in a way. Yeah. Um, that I think if this were a DreamWorks film, we'd be like, hey, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. But Pixar, just when you've been nailing, like I said, films like Up or Wally or Inside Out or Toy Story, mm-hmm. to just are acknowledged masterpieces in the genre. Yeah. If you produce something that's just kind of middle of a road, you're kind of like, eh, all right, I guess. I mean, yeah. um, it's just unusual to find a Pixar film that feels so half-baked. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 missing that special Pixar source. And I'm just looking back now at the Pixar movies. You have Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Cars, Ratatouille, Wall-E, Up, Toy Story 3, Cars 2, Brave, Monsters University, Inside Out, The Good Dinosaur, Finding Dory, Cars 3, Coco, uh, Invincible, Incredibles 2, Toy Story 4, Onward, which was very boring, Um, Soul and Luca. Their next one is next year called Turning Red, and then they've got... Lightyear, which is a Buzz Lightyear movie, also in 2022. So they have gone from um, their first movie was Toy Story 95, then it took three years for Bugs Life, then Toy Story 2 came out just a year later, two years Monsters Inc., two years Finding Nemo, one year Incredibles, two years Cars, one year, one year, one year, one year, one year, one year. Um, they are I feel like they're getting faster. They're getting faster, and they're overall losing a bit of quality, in my opinion. Um, they're still generally leagues above the other big companies that are making um, animated kids-slash-family movies, but that that special element of really taking that animated mindset of every frame counts and put everything you can to every shot feels like it's going well no we've got the main story here and that's our focus and it just it's sad to see that change uh tony red sounds pretty lousy actually mm. but um <laughs> what's this it's not, uh, a 13 year old girl turns into a giant red panda whenever she gets too excited um okay that doesn't sound terribly inspiring but hey look you know maybe it'd be really good does that look really Ardman-esque to you, that picture? Actually, yes. Um, I'm looking here, and I don't see any Ardman involvement here. It's written <laughs> and directed by someone called Domi Chi. So if you have to have a look at what we're talking about here, 
have a look at the IMDb page for Turning Red. Mm. There's not a lot of info there, but yeah. there are some pictures of um, some of the early artwork and that one in particular here. Yeah. One of the pictures here of a girl smiling looks very Ardman. Yeah. You know, I'm talking Ardman, we're talking Wallace and Gromdy. Wallace and kind Gromdy, of yeah, that she can run. Uh, they look like their characters, so yeah. weird um, considering it's Pixar. Yeah. Um, it's a shame, but, I mean, again, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. It was just kind of, yeah. I will say it was really lovely um, kind of flight of fancy. It, the, every, the, the, the quality of the animation was beautiful. The water effects and just the way that the, the town looked was stunning. It's like, oh, I would love to go there. But it's, um, yeah, it, it just feels shallow, which is ironic considering it's a, a sea monster. And, and it's interesting you mentioned Miyazaki, his director, mm. Enrico Casarosa, and like a very Italian-sounding director, mm. I don't know. He has worked on other Pixar things, but mm. um, he's Italian. Mm. He's really talk to like, Hey, Amor, why are you speaking another accent no more? You know, like they're very kind of like, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's, it seems a little bit cliche. I don't, is that okay still? To, yeah. To, to such a, but anyway, he's actually the bully. Yeah, he's got a very Italian accent. It's like yeah. someone from a pizza commercial from the 80s, you know. Yeah. Um, the character, director Enrico Casarosa stated that he drew inspiration to films of Hayao Miyazaki when creating the film. The character Luca's original name was Porto Rosso, a nod to Miyazaki's Poco Rosso. That's right. That's the name of the town. Yeah. In the final version of the film, the character's name is changed and the name of the town is changed to Porto Rosso. Yeah. Um, and what it made me think of was the one of the interesting aspects of the film is this town. One of the, the motivating story arcs is the, the two sea monsters come out of it who, who actually have to compete or choose to compete in like a triathlon. Yeah. To win money to buy a Vespa. And they, like, I seriously, someone at, someone at fucking. At, at Pixar must have money in, in Vespa because they go hard. Sponsorship. Um, but they have a they're part of it. One of the legs of a tri triathlon is eating pasta. Yeah. Which again, I'm like, is that okay? Are we just making fun of Italians now? But <laughs> but the actual pasta and the eating of the pasta looks fucking amazing. Yeah. And like, it made yeah. me think of like like you talked extensively about um, anime like Food Wars, where they, yes. how amazing the food looks in Japanese animation. Yeah. Um, or even in the limited Miyazaki films I've seen, that they put a lot of effort in Japanese animation into the actual, into food. It's, I guess it's for, it's part of the culture and that so like delicate finish and presentation of food in, in a lot of Asian um, cooking. And it is part of the heart and soul of Italian culture is like having big meals with all the family around and the friends coming around and everyone just sharing this big bowl of pasta and salad and everything. And it's, it's part of it. So I kind of get the importance of making it look good because it is part of the culture, I guess. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. Well, no, I mean, obviously <laughs> it's funny. Someone, I mean, someone once told me to go on the Mediterranean diet once to lose weight. And I'm like, have the Italians heard of this? Is this person not supposed to have any pasta? Pasta, pizza, lovely. Last time I was I was there, Italy, Italy was on the Mediterranean. So yep. um, anyway, that was just me being a smart ass. Because <laughs> um, I really didn't want to do it. But that was what was one of the interesting aspects was watching them eat this amazing looking food. And that made me think of like wow this actually does remind me a little bit of mm. the limited japanese animation i had so um yeah. and, and not surprising to see but that miyazaki yeah uh, is an influence but i don't think this is anywhere near like whereas 
a lot of Pixar stuff you could probably have in a conversation with mm. the work, I, I would argue. No, that's, um, fair. that's fair. But this, not so much. No, this feels a little bit like um, almost like a high-grade homage to it by lesser masters. Not intentionally being detrimental to him, but I can kind of see what they're trying to go for, but they haven't perfected the way that they tell these stories and the way they present them. So it just feels like a bit of a knockoff. It's fine, yeah, but not great. It's fine, yeah. Um, should we go on to uh, Rick and Morty now? I've only seen the one episode so Me far. Too. I'm halfway through episode two, but... Um, you don't have time in the car park? <laughs> no, uh, that was it while I was eating cold chicken before coming over here. Um, I've seen episode one. Episode one is called Mort Dinner Rick Andre. Mm. Um, and Rick hosts dinner for his ocean-dwelling nemesis while Morty gets the wine. Mm. Uh, I thought this was um, an excellent intro to, to season, what be five? Yeah. Um, we meet the fantastic new character of Mr. Nimbus. Uh, <laughs> who did who the voice of Mr. Nimbus? Dan Harmon. Oh, Dan Harmon, okay. Yeah. Um, and um, he, uh, he doesn't do a whole lot of voices on the show, I think, Dan. I mean, no. Justin Roiland. Yeah, Justin Roiland. Um, and I was so sure that it sounds like the kind of character that Justin Roiland would have come up with. But, yeah. Um, who is a hypersexual undersea sort of an aquaman knockoff kind of it i i guess if aquaman and orgasmo <laughs> kind of had a, a weird offspring in the world of rick and morty it's it's bizarre because it ends up being that it's an interesting kind of um analysis of the relationship that he has with the first person that rick sanchez has ever said my nemesis that's like Okay, this, this is going to be an interesting relationship analysis, and it, it works really well by the end of it. It's like, it kind of feels a bit shitty, but and more of the focus goes on Morty this time. And it's, I love the side, the side, the side story, story the B story of Morty. It's so um, good. If you spoilers, if you don't want to know anything, spoilers, you know, yes. it's on Netflix in Australia, by the way. Yes. So, um, I don't know, Get Comedy on. Central in the States, I think. Uh, yeah, um. So, uh, Mr. Nimbus is coming around to have dinner with Rick to sort of come to a truce. So it's they, because they crash landed their in, ship the in the ocean. And to he gets some cheap wine and to age it up, he puts he creates a portal to somewhere where time passes yeah. faster than on Earth. And so, they, you know, he goes and puts the wine in the, um, in the, through the portal and then sends Morty to go and get it. Um, and in doing so, and Morty opens the portal and goes in to get the wine. Someone from that world says, oh, do you need a hand? <laughs> and helps him carry it into, into planet Earth. Um, but, you know, going back through the time portal while he was on Earth, like yeah, you're 10 years or something's passed and everyone's dead. <laughs> and, of course, because Morty's seen coming back and forth to get the wine, he becomes gets to blame for... He essentially becomes like the antichrist for this entire civilization. It's like, he will be back. He will. We must be prepared. <laughs> and, you know, each trip back in to get more wine becomes increasingly more fraught <laughs> yeah. as the, 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 the technology um, in, in, the, in the, the time passing fast world. And, and then they pull in Jessica as well. And just the, the journey that she goes on is now sort of like, okay, that's a really cool way of just another reason why 
her and Morty don't get together because she's seen some shit. <laughs> she's probably about as much depth of, and, and, and development as Jessica yeah. has ever gotten in an and episode. Just her last last line of the episode is like, I'm a time god now. <laughs> it's like, that's fucking cool. Um, it's, it's, and I think it's the kind of episode that's going to be rewarded with multiple watches and i think that's something oh, yeah. like i i it's, it's one of those shows for me i can just go back and yeah you can watch just again it. in. it's it's really, really um fun. really really fun episode and like this is what i was saying earlier that guy who was did the writing for, for yes. loki and you're like oh wow really? i mean it's just it's nothing compared to what rick and morty do on a weekly but obviously you've got a little bit more freedom yeah in an animated show um for adults than than, than a disney flagship tv property but yeah um, but still, you know. I think I think the credit for writing should go to Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland yeah. a little bit more than these hired hands they get in to do things yeah. because at least on the evidence of it's like here, here's basically what we're gonna do. We've pretty much written it out. Can you can you type that up for me, dear dear? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I gotta be honest. I don't know exactly how much hands on. You know, Dan Harmon is kind of a producer. Mm. This episode, for example, was written by a guy named Jeff Loveness. He's the, the, the writer in the, uh, the main um, sort of credit here, and he's yeah. done stuff with The Office, I think, here. Uh, he, uh, he's, he's writing Ant-Man and the Wasp, so there we go. It's a okay. Disney, Disney thing happening. Um, he's yep. written for Jimmy Kimmel. It's um, a lot of that witty banter, which makes sense considering the, the, the fast, rapid-fire nature of Rick and Morty. Um, and it is kind of a skit show. A little bit. Those, those little moments and that they just end up escalating it throughout the, the episodes. But I'm enjoying it so far. And um, the what I've watched of uh, episode two, it's um, good. They are very good at kind of going, yep, we are going to kind of lampoon a lot of the stereotypes and the tropes of sci-fi and just mock the ever-living shit out of them. It's almost like sci-fi roasting. And they do it very well. This episode, it's a lot of that kind of clone stuff. And, oh, do you know you're a clone? And uh, going in with those tropes. That makes me think there's that joke in the first episode of Loki where he goes through a robot detection thing. And he's like, do many people know they're not a robot? What am I? Maybe I'm a robot. Yeah. And that kind of made me think, oh, that feels very Rick and Morty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'm hopeful I, that I've read a few reviews of the early stuff for Rick and Morty. People saying, oh, it's not as good. Um, it's showing that it's, you know, maybe it's got a little bit of a lifespan on it. But like, I'm really enjoying it. This episode, the first episode had a 9.2 on IMDb yeah. and fairness. I think it's the fans who vote on these things. But, yeah. Uh, I didn't, I mean, just that B story is probably the strength of it for me. Yes. Um, uh, the Miss and Miss character was kind of fun. Yeah. But I mean, especially then. Also, there was the 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 um the interplay with um Beth and Jerry, who are like, oh, <laughs> you know, we're a progressive couple. We watch porn together. We're sex positive. <laughs> uh, and um and that you know that was fun. But I think the B story with Morty he was mm. was a really that was that was the, the, the part, and yeah. that didn't show any drop off to me. No. Um, and it, I think it's a show that like people are looking for it to drop. Yeah, because it's been its quality has been a bit Pixar, right? Like, yeah, we were talking about it a few years ago. Like, they're gonna have another. They're gonna drop one day. They're gonna have another cast. Um, but this is just the quality of the four seasons has been insanely high. Yeah, 
and you go, well, if turnovers are around in less than a year, that's fast for them. Um, so, you know, they, they can't keep this up forever. So people, it's like tall poppy syndrome here in Australia. We're just waiting for them to stumble. Yeah. Um, to use a sporting analogy, um, for those who are cricket fans, um, Shane Warne, the great Australian leg spinner, I think for every Australian summer for the last 10 years of his career, my dad would say at the start of a summer, nah, he's finished. <laughs> <laughs> and as he would go on to, you know, break records and just be, you know, the legend of a sport that he is maybe he's not such a legend of a guy but an amazing player yeah. and like you know, eventually you gotta go no you know eventually you'll be a bit like me with my video game movie prediction it'll be right eventually be right eventually <laughs> but yeah. yeah but time makes fools of us all so i don't think rick and morty for me but yeah. one episode in i off the strength of this it didn't seem yeah i, th I think it's it's great so far and um I'm looking forward to it. It's annoying that it's um, just one, one a week or whatever it is. But, but if, if it was all at once, we yeah. would have been it all by now. Yeah, exactly. And this is this is a mid-slash-semi-post-COVID world where people have rediscovered the importance of releasing weekly <laughs> because they need conversation to keep going. And they don't know how long they're going to be able to go back into production for. Um, Are we... Uh, right. Keep dropping the damn phone. This is why we don't do it in person anymore. Anyway. No, no, I, I, I get drops. We need a table, very nice. no, a bigger table. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, if we did, if, if, if we could be good with Rick and Morty, mm -hmm. I would like to quickly talk about a film I went to the cinema to see. Um, oh, it was actually see, after. He thinks that everything revolves around. It him. was actually after lockdown too. <gasps> um, so after lockdown, there finished, is no such thing. Um, we went we to haven't the, reached that point yet. The cinema mm. to see a film, an Argentinian film. Okay. Do you not see many Argentinian films? I think I this no. may be the first Argentinian film Maybe. I've ever seen. <laughs> um, and this was actually Argentina's uh, nomination for Best Foreign Picture at the Oscars last year, I think. Okay. Um, and the film is Heroic Losers from okay. 2019. Now, I would just like to call out that this is the English title, mm -hmm. and it is shit. Um, the actual Spanish title or um, Argentinian title, for want of a better term, mm. is The Odyssey of Fools, I think. Um, okay. It's kind of a better title, I think. Yeah. But all the way through his film, I'm sitting there going, oh, yeah, someone's optioning this. Okay. Someone's so going to remake this. Mm -hmm. um, like Dinner for Schmucks from the, that one that came out. Was oh, a yeah. Remake of yeah. a French film. Or, yeah. Um, you know, someone from Hollywood's going to be going, okay. oh, there's an easy win. So, so what's it about? in the times of the infamous Argentino Argentinian Corralito, the neighbors of a little town, a little town, trace a plan to recover the money they lost after learning that their bank manager and corrupt lawyer have stolen it. Now, it's sort of referencing earlier. You were talking about it with Hamlet. It's sort of like it was a, a film with implied knowledge mm. or, or assumed knowledge. Yeah, this is that film. Okay. So if I just told you it's in the times of the infamous Argentinian Corralito. What the fuck is that? You mean you don't know? I do now. Um, <laughs> you'd probably be like me and just go Google, Google that. <laughs> and what was the Argentinian Coralito? Um, you really do kind of need to have some knowledge of what it was. The Coralito was the informal name for the economic measures taken in Argentina at the end of 2001 by the Ministry of blah, blah, blah. So it was basically an economic crisis that took place in Argentina in 2001. Okay. Um, and it's very important in the film. Mm. In the sense, like uh, the film opens, we have our our, our main our protagonist, uh, Thurman Palasi, played by Ricardo Darin, who's kind of the Argentinian George Clooney. 
Okay. The Silver Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, and his wife, um, whose name escapes me right now. I think it's Lydia. I could be wrong. But his wife, and uh, they are gathering money from um, their people in their small town to reopen a granary that is closed down right. and run it as a co-op, co-op cooperative. Is, and they feel like, you know, if we get everyone together, we can start making money together again as a as a community. So they get, they basically take the life savings of a bunch of people who live in their little town with a view to buying this um this granary from the people who used to own it. Mm. Um and you know the whole film starts from talking about it and going, oh yes, we're going to do it. And then the other one will be like, you know, August 2001. And people will be like, oh. I'd be like, yeah, well, that's important. Yeah, yeah. Now I should note I saw this with somebody and they know who they are, who is of Argentinian heritage and has spent time living in Argentina, who was very kindly leaned over and whispered to me and gave me the heads up that this is like a month before. Who's that guy? I thought they killed that guy. <laughs> Pretty much. It was a little bit like that going, um, that in September is when the economic crisis took mm. place. You're like, oh, okay. So it'd be a little bit like, imagine that like 9-11 was this obscure little event that nobody knew about. Yeah. And someone's like, oh, I've got a plane ticket. Yay. And it says September 9th. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, dun, dun, dun. And you're like, and, you know, if you didn't know what it was, you'd be like, is, is something important happened that day? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but so that is an, that is an interesting angle for a Western audience. To, yeah. Now, eventually you'll figure it out, right? Because mm. the film will explain it. But some of the impact is lost. Like, mm. you're like, oh, that's bad timing, right? You're like, August 2001. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but essentially what happens is they take, they gave her enough money. They don't have enough money to buy it outright. So I get a loan. Mm-hmm. So I take it to the bank and I put it in a safe deposit box. And you're like, ooh, because I know what's coming. Yeah. So during the economic crisis, basically uh, the government almost, and someone's going to correct me here and then to me, I'm very wrong, mm-hmm. but for, they almost repossessed people's bank accounts. They basically took their savings. Okay. Or if you had savings, you could only withdraw like 100 US dollars a month. Wow. Uh, at ATMs okay. or at banks and stuff like that. So you were like, was this incredible credit financial crunch in, in Argentina. Yeah. So these guys raised 150,000 US dollars from all their friends and stuff. And they go to the bank and they go, hey, you know, I would like the loan. And the guy's like, they get bank manager's like, can't help you with a loan, mate, because they think you haven't got any money. Now, if you deposited that money in the bank, the bank manager's in Buenos Aires, because he's sitting in a little town in the middle of nowhere. But bank managers will see that money in your account. And they go, yeah, no worries. I can afford it. And they'll give me the money right away. Mm. So this guy, uh, again, our Furman, um, uh, Palazzi, Ricardo Darren, is there like he's been put on the spot. He's like, oh, no, no, but you have to do it now because we're closing in half an hour. And like you haven't got time to go and ask everybody whose money it is to whether they want to do it. So he makes the fateful decision to deposit the money. Okay. At which point, but the whole gist of it is that the bank manager is crooked. And he has he has his um his friend uh, or his collaborator, what do you want to uh, uh, for, uh, played by Andreas Para von Fortunati Fortunato Manzi is the bad is the, the big bad guy in this. Okay. Uh, he is like this rich lawyer guy. So basically as soon as uh Furman's deposited his money, this guy uh Manzi comes in and um, he basically gets a loan from the bank, a loan, basically takes all that foreign currency, about US dollars that have just been deposited. He basically takes it. Mm. And the next day, 
be you know the the, the, the banks are basically closed the run of the banks and you, know, you basically can't get his money money's gone basically mm-hmm. um and so that kicks off the rest of a plot where you know some tragedy things happen this guy it turns out this guy manzi has actually put the money he built, he built a safe right in the middle of nowhere in his field like a proper secure okay thing like a vault an underground vault in the middle of nowhere and like that's where he's stashing your money because where else would you stash it you can't put it in the bank yeah um so these guys find out about it and hence it's and you can almost transition there into almost an argentinian oceans 11 as they put together a crew <laughs> you son of a bitch i'm in <laughs> um but it's like it's it's more like um think of it you watch the australian film with me once the castle yes think the castle right when you put it together okay. a crew it's not like i need a you know a safe cracker and a you know and a, a contortionist it's more like each of them got they get everybody in the community together and each of them do have certain skills that it's like oh we need someone to do this well my grand's good at sewing <laughs> a little bit <laughs> um so like that same so scene in the in the three amigos where we're, we can sew <laughs> we can sew um um so yeah they all sort of have they all bring their own little thing to the um yeah to the table and and you know they work together to i mean let's face it, they're going to get their money back because well, it's, 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 it's a little it's a turnaround movie. um and the bad guy is really andreas para as fortunato manzi is beautifully horrible okay. like he looks like the kind of asshole the kind of guy you'd hate yeah. you know and he plays it so beautifully well like i was trying to think of a bad guy i could think of it was so effectively horrible and the only person i could think of was the guy who played the epa dude in ghostbusters you know Dickles. oh like, yeah this is true this man has no dick <laughs> um i can't think of the actor's name right now but um Richard, um, Richard, Richard, and um, and he, he used to say that like people would stop him on the street yeah. and abuse him, ridiculous, yeah, like, <laughs> and it was such a, he was perfectly horrible in that movie, yeah. And he was in um, he was in Die Hard as well, wasn't he? He was yeah, the bad guy, he was the yeah, annoying was the, reporter, the, the reporter, yeah. Um, so he just he just made that role his own. Yeah, so exactly. this guy, I think, did it really beautifully. He loved hating him. And Ricardo Darren is a guy who's like I said, he's kind of pretty well known in that. In, in Argentina as an actor. Mm. He was in probably the other most famous Argentinian film, uh, Nine Queens, which was remade in um in, in Hollywood with um John Riley in it. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't think of what it was called, criminal something. Uh, I think it might just been called criminal, actually. Um, but uh don't quote me on that. Yeah, criminal. Yeah. Um in two thousand and four, which I'm curious to see. Um but nine queens was made in 2000 and this kind of had some crossover to the west um and that also started ricardo darren as a much younger man um but he is a wonderful everyman yeah he just he just he's so charismatic and very sort of you know think you know like silver fox clooney handsome and okay. you know yeah. down to worth and approachable and he he really is uh, a wonderful protagonist in this film uh and you, you the the band of wacky characters around the town are very amusing and I, I and uh, and again, I did have the benefit of somebody with a significant amount of context about Argentina yeah. and Argentinian history, whispering in my ear, going, "This is why that matters." But so there is an element of local knowledge, but I think you know you can figure it out. It's pretty easy to translate it. Like um, I'm thinking, like this is almost like the you could do. Um, the other side of the story for all the people that got scammed in the wolf of wall street 
Yeah, I mean, it, you could so easily translate. So I'm sitting, I was actually sitting in that castle getting my hair while I was watching it going, yeah. obviously, you know, maybe this, this guy, this guy, you know, um, and how would I set it in the States? Like, you know, how would you, how, how would that setup, that setup wouldn't work because it hasn't been mm. something quite like that in the States. So if you said during the GFC, Mm. and your bank your local bank branch collapse because a lot of banks did collapse in the yeah. states during the gfc and you know the local bad guy did it yeah. you know and it's it would so easily work and you know yeah uh, it would not surprise me uh to actually mm. see an american remake because it just it would work if you get that central conceit under control that that notion that the community coming together is definitely something that you could easily translate anywhere i'm i'm th looking at it and just thinking yep I could imagine um, Edgar Wright doing an English version of that. Oh, it was a quaint little town yeah. um, that got thrown out of context or something because of X, Y, or, or maybe Z. during the, the coal miners' strike or, yeah. or something like that. Anything you know, like that you you because you can get those kind of character actors just come in. So like, okay, you're the village eccentric in this. Brendan Gleeson. Brendan Gleeson. Yeah, would yep. be that he would be my. My my Thurman, I think, unless you mm -hmm. want to go someone a bit younger, but he's just so damn likable. Um, but yeah, you would work. It could work here. Yeah. You could do an Australian version if you really wanted to. But yeah, we know it's going to happen anyway. It would probably be in the United States course, because it's yeah. the kind of thing that they do. Um, and look, this is a really fun, enjoyable film. Do you? Okay, so you don't really need to know what all these things of a Coralito is, and, and you know, mm. there's sort of there's a guy in it who who used to work for the Road Authority, and he goes on about you know, being a Peronista, um, you know, the Peron being, you know, but the, the, the Evita was, uh, Evita, Eva Peron, oh, okay. the, the wife of um, the president who was um, Manuel Peron, I don't know. Um, but, you know, these little jokes like the Peronistas is a political movement in Argentina. You know, oh, I knew okay. that much. So I'm like, again, evidence of his musical love. Because <laughs> I knew Evita. <laughs> yes. um, <laughs> when I met my you. friend who is of Argentinian <laughs> heritage, I think things I knew about Argentina, uh, Evita. Maradona. Maradona. They like soccer. Mm -hmm. That might have been about it. Um, That's fair. They have, a, they have a light blue flag. Yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> You know, I, I think my my knowledge of, of Argentinian stuff. We was, are not world world worldwide characters. Well, I mean, I think I think I think it's okay, but like it is a country you don't. Oh, and, and Nazis went there. Oh yeah, they did. Um, so you know, that's probably not something you'd like to advertise. I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> that's the twist on the heroic losers. They're actually Nazis. Yeah, Doctor Mengele or something. Like that. <laughs> I think he was in Bolivia or something. But yeah. Um, so I didn't know a lot about and when when I the crisis I'm like oh yeah I vaguely remember that happening mm. you know um, but I you know you don't need there's little bits like that you're kind of probably going to go over your head if you don't get it yeah you don't know you don't have somebody filling you in on all the bits but for the most part I think you're still going to have fun with it if you get a chance to see it so it was showing here in Melbourne a couple weeks ago but no one ever it is showing still maybe it'll pop up in a streaming service somewhere it probably will because they're gay and for content these yeah. days. And look, it's a, you put the subtitles on, it's a fun little film. This this sounds like the perfect antithesis to Hamlet where, yes, kind of having that a knowledge of their time and the very specific things that they're talking about, but still the story and the meaning, the intent, 
of everyone involved. You just understand it transcends language. It transcends this this They're universal characters, right? We've yeah. got a guy who's honest and down to earth and community minded, and these people are honest, down to earth people, yeah. and they're scammed by the rich guy. Yeah, that's a universal story. It, it works in right. any country. Yeah, you don't you don't need to the the extra bits that sit around it mm. would help, but they aren't necessary. It's like when you watch the castle. I imagine. Yeah. Hopefully, I kept thinking of a film like the castle, yeah. which is you know the little guy. Overcoming the overwhelming, the, exactly. the, yeah. the David versus Goliath myth, almost. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, if you understood Australian culture, would it help? Absolutely, it would. But you know, I still think people get the gist of that yeah. film. And you, it, I mean, for something like the castle, it is like the how's the serenity? Yeah. And it's like Bonnie Doon and all that. I've yeah. been to Bonnie Doon now, and living up in King Lake, it's like the chainsaws will be going and. Me and Shay would just kind of go, how's the serenity? Little bits like that. You're like, you know, yeah. dad's favorite show was Funniest Home Video. That was like Saturday night. Hey, yeah, Saturday. I think they changed it for the American release. Yeah. Because in Australia, it was like the, the dad's favorite show is Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. Anything you like better was the best of Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. <laughs> like even that gag's kind of dated in that because that show hasn't been on the air for a long time. But I think they changed it to the Funniest Home Video when they. It's like what they did with. Um, uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, and there was that list. That yeah, yeah, and they changed Vegemite and Tin Tam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things like that. It's like, okay, that, that, that just helps me clue into it a little bit more. All right, cool. So, I mean, I, I, I dug this. It's directed by an name called Sebastian Borenstein. Maybe he might pop up in the West somewhere. I don't think he's done anything outside of Argentina yet, but, um, Yes, yeah, so I uh, I did go down a bit of a rabbit hole with um with the uh, with um, uh, Ricardo Darren and watching some soap operas and stuff that he was in okay, in Argentina. Okay. But um, I, I liked it a lot. It was it's really yeah. fun to see something that's just a bit outside your comfort zone. Occasionally, it's yeah. not just an American superhero film. It's you know yeah. a film from a country we don't think about. So a, yeah. a country we think about so little that one of the top five things we knew about it was that it's the color of its flag. <laughs> We're bad people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that rounds up the show. I think it's not bad for our first in-person show for two years. Yeah. Thank you, saw people. Yeah. We um we talked about Hamlet. We are going to be going on to The Great Escape as our next chain movie. We uh, talked about Loki, episodes one, two, and three, loosely, general terms. Um, and we had our message from our sponsors. Thank you very much. And remember, correct, glad wrap on your microwave duck on orange um we uh, travis talked about black summer season two uh we talked about luca uh rick and morty and finished off with heroic losers, losers. Yeah. stupid name um <laughs> and we're under two hours so yeah you can you're welcome yeah there's seven minutes back in your life i am going to be um talking a little bit about the current hot Topic in the uh, anime world of Demon Slayer, a uh, session season one of that, which is on Netflix, um, with uh, subs and dubs for anyone who has one preference or another. Um, we will possibly have Julian on for Fire Walk with me next week. So it's going to be uh, an interesting And show. we are very close now to finally seeing Black Widow. Yeah, that's true. I think we're two weeks away. I think we'll be. Next, it's no, next week. Next week. No, I'm seeing it next yeah. Friday, so unfortunately we yeah. went just missed, missed out. But yeah. never mind. We'll still have a little bit more Loki for people who uh, 
want their Marvel fix, and it'll be a little bit more timely because now that we uh, can actually, I'm, I'm close enough to be able to do this. We can yeah. do this a couple of weeks now. And, and who knows, you might even have you know electricity back at your normal venue. <laughs> Don't before. be silly. They're going to get rid of the mold first, mm. apparently. Oh, okay, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. But on that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for watching along live. Thank you for listening. Remember that you can watch us live on twitch.tv slash thefrightbrain, as well as um, YouTube later on, as well as it is streaming live there, uh, youtube.com slash uh, frightbrainproductions, facebook.com slash George Terran, I think it is. Hey, Cara Kitty, good to see you. Hey, Cara Kitty. <laughs> uh, maybe a lovely day. It is, it is, it is 9.35 p.m. Uh, this evening, so um, it'll be a lovely night and hopefully a wonderful Thursday. Fingers crossed, and it is my last day of work tomorrow, and then I'm off for a week and a bit before starting my new job, working for the government and silencing people. That's good. I mean, yeah. they need silencing. Yeah, exactly. Silence the peoples. And well, once I have my second shot and my 5G is really powered up, you know, I'll be able to join in. <laughs> oh, yeah. You've got the upgrade. Upgrade. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Armchair Producers. We are a weekly podcast every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And if you'd like to follow along live, please go to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain, where you can actually also donate to us, as well as watching us live on youtube.com slash friedbrainproductions or facebook.com slash friedbrainproductions. Thank you, and see you next time. Bye-bye.